If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Coffee in California Politics. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we got a jam-packed show for you. Thank you uh, for understanding last week I had work to get to. And, uh, you know, day job does get in the way sometimes, but that's okay. You know, you got to uh, work to pay the bills and stuff like that. So welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, everybody. Uh, a couple announcements real quick. Tomorrow night on the podcast, we're going to have an uh, attorney buddy of mine, uh, Dan Fulkerson, who is a fellow attorney here in San Diego, um, sort of got involved in a lot of stuff in, in terms of constitutional law and stuff like that uh, during the pandemic and all that because he couldn't sit by anymore and think about how people were being, uh, well, I, I guess you could say, well, how people were being treated. So he decided he wanted to step in. He, he did a lot of that and sort of, I guess we could talk about really his like awakening from uh, into politics. He's sort of apolitical. He just kind of calls out everybody. He does a lot of Dan's rants on his Instagram, which I think are very insightful. So I think he's going to have a lot to say specifically about California. I don't know where the conversation is going to go. It may go off completely off the rails, but who knows? That's the best part about it is we don't really know where it's going to go. Um, the California Underground America t-shirt with the flag is uh, ending soon in a couple days. Limited edition, so it will be ending. It will be taking it off. Might keep the logo around for a little bit longer, but the t-shirt, there's tank tops. There's tank tops for men and women. They're, they're good summer shirts. Uh, if you want to rock those and get those before they are out of the store, limited edition again. But when we turn to August, uh, we'll probably take it off the store. So um, let's see. Taking a sip of coffee while it's still warm. I always have this problem where I start talking, and by the time I get to the coffee later on, it's always lukewarm, um, and it's it, it's not as tasty. So let's get started with today's. Uh, we're we're going to talk about on this episode specifically what I wanted to talk about a couple weeks ago, which was what's going on in Sri Lanka. And what's going on with uh, Holland and ESG and what all that stuff is and why is that a bad omen for what's going to happen here in California? And I, I think it's it's very evident what's going to happen here in California. They're pushing harder and harder. We're going to go over a couple policies that they're already enacting. Um, some of how it's already biting Californians in the butt or at least the people in charge in California, how it's biting them in the, in the butt and all these, this green policy and maybe leave it up to discussion at the end, whether or not people believe that have we reached sort of the tipping point when it comes to a lot of these green policies, are people really fed up with it? Are they tired of it? Um, cause I always think people want to be as green as possible because it makes them feel good. Uh, until it hits their pocketbook, right? Like until it hits themselves uh, at the kitchen table, I don't think people really want to be as green as they want to be. Uh, my dad likes to tell me the story. He's a kitchen designer. He sells custom kitchens, high-end kitchens, not like you get at Home Depot or whatever, where you just kind of put them together and hope for the best. Uh, high-end kitchens, you know, and, and during the, when he had his business, uh, he was selling kitchens that were worth, you know, fifty to a hundred thousand dollars. People had a lot of money in putting into this stuff. Uh, he always likes to tell this story about how this was back in the late '90s, early 2000s. 
people would ask for, well, I want to make sure this is really uh, responsible and green and I want to use all recycled materials uh, so that way I'm not creating waste because green is really important to me. And I said, oh, yeah, sure, that's fine. We could do that. Um, I know how to get it. I, I, I know distributors who can get that for you. And he would give them the new estimate and say, this is the new estimate. Usually it was a good 25% more. Um, once people saw how much more it cost, they all of a sudden would not want to be so green anymore. So once it came down to it, uh, people, when push comes to the shove, I think more people are going to really focus on not being green and focus on their own pocketbooks and their own well-being. Um, so we're going to talk a lot about that today um, because I think a lot of this really does have implications on what's going on in California. And again, California has that sort of, you know, love it or hate it. California does still have that um, effect of what happens here in California it does kind of spread its way across the nation. And which is another reason why I think it's important that you got to keep fighting for California and help turn it around, because if you can defeat you know, far left statism here, you can do defeat far left statism anywhere in the country. And it's basically the end of it. Um, but before that, I do want to hop into the fact that a couple news stories that uh, really interested me this morning. Uh, one is that Beverly Hills City Council votes unanimously to not enforce county mask mandate. So Beverly Hills, the city, even though L.A. County wants to go back to masking up, Beverly Hills basically came out and said unanimously, the mayor came out and said, we're not going to enforce it. We're not going to use our resources. Um, if people choose to do it, that's what they want to do. That's all fine and dandy. But if you have a problem with it, you can call the county sheriff. And I don't think Alex Villanueva, the current county LA sheriff, really wants to send out people to enforce masks. So it's interesting that Beverly Hills themselves, who are in LA County, one of the most prominent areas in LA County, uh, is deciding not to really go forward with the mass mandate. They've decided that they're they're over it. So even if a place like Beverly Hills says we're over it, how much weight do you really think any of this is really going to cause? Um, contradictorily, in Sacramento, uh, the health official, let me see if I can pull this up. Do, 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 I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, Sacramento County Public Health Officer, Dr. Olivier Casereye, I hope I probably butchered that name, believes that uh, masking should be mandatory, even if California officials refuse to take action. Basically, she's saying that regardless of whether any of officials, um, wh whether any of the officials actually do take action, she believes that should just be mandatory across the board, that we shouldn't have really any, any chance. Um, uh, she said she would comply with a statewide mandate, but has no plan to follow in the footsteps of Los Angeles County, where a new mask mandate could be ordered this week. Uh, the state's current guidance is simply a strong recommendation in favor of masking indoors. Uh, however, I think a lot of this is going to really depend on the politics of it, which kind of punches a hole in the fact of the effectiveness of masks, because if it's an emergency, remember, we're still not to the point where L.A. is instituting the mask mandate. They already said they're going to reinstitute it, but it's not for a couple more days. It's such an emergency, mind you. It's such an emergency that they could await a full two weeks. Now, you could say, does that have something to do with the fact that they just had the All-Star game? Maybe. Maybe they didn't want to have a lot of people masked up in L.A., making California look bad or make them look kooky and crazy because the rest of the world is kind of moving on from COVID. Um, the politics of it is not, not beneficial for a lot of people, especially someone like Gavin Newsom, who is 
eyeing a presidential run, it's more and more evident he wants to run for president. Uh, and I don't think he wants to look like he's going backwards because it's hard to claim victory over COVID and that you've had the best COVID policies when you're going backwards. So I think a lot of politics will push back on this. Uh, LA County, I think there'll be a lot of pushback. Hopefully there's not a lot of compliance. I would hope that a lot of people just say, we're not going to do this. I doubt anything like that's going to happen in like counties like Orange County or San Diego. I haven't heard one rumbling of whether or not that's going to happen in San Diego. I haven't heard any rumors about whether or not it's going to happen in San Diego. Um, I don't know if anyone up in Orange County can vouch for the fact of whether they heard it's going to happen up in Sacramento. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's got the legs that it has. Even Alameda County gave up on their mask mandate after only a couple weeks where they were trying. They, they basically did it for I think like two or three weeks. They had the mask mandate and they just basically gave up because people weren't complying and people were not listening and it didn't really have the effect that they wanted it to have. Um, so interesting to see how the state now is sort of breaking off into different areas, which originally is what I thought. COVID in California should have been handled. It's big enough that I think different counties should really have their own jurisdiction. It shouldn't have been just like a big statewide thing. But, you know, Noodles wanted to play emperor. And that's something that he, you know, he in his egotistical mind always uh, he can't give give he can't let go of the power right now. I mean, we're still technically in a state of emergency. I shouldn't say technically. We are emphatically in a state of emergency still because he doesn't want to give it up. Uh, somebody said in the chat, I don't think it'll happen in San Bernardino County. Uh, I don't even think that's going to happen. No, I think there's a lot of counties that probably won't listen. Um, so mass in the carpool lane, somebody said in the chat, mass in the carpool lane is always funny. We saw somebody yesterday pulling into the parking lot by themselves with a mask on. Um, those always make me laugh. The people in the car by themselves with the mask on always makes me makes me laugh. However, the one that really gets me upset is when you see parents with kids and the kids are wearing masks, but the parents are not wearing masks. That one always kind of makes me upset uh, because you're forcing your kids to do it, but you're not doing it. Um, how's the lawsuit against Nathan going? Uh, it's sort of in a holding pattern right now, but we're going to probably start that up again soon. Was it a Prius? No, it was a Tesla. So this other new news story that literally just got in my email this morning Headline, 1 million Californians lack safe drinking water. Uh, under state law, every Californian has the right to safe, clean, affordable, and ac accessible water. But a blistering audit released Tuesday shows just how far the state is from turning that promise into reality. Uh, Rachel Becker of CalMatters wrote, Acting State Auditor Michael Tilden slammed regulators at the State Water Resources Control Board for what he characterized as their lack of urgency to provide needed assistance to failing water systems, even as the state funnels hundreds of millions of dollars into drinking projects. More than 920,000 people face an increased risk of cancer and liver and kidney problems because they get drinking water from one of the more than 370 systems that didn't meet water quality standards as of December 21st. More than 150 of those systems have failed to meet those standards for at least five years, an additional 432 serving more than one, more, 1 million people are currently at risk of failing. Uh, the Golden State has 7,400 drinking water systems, according to the report. Uh, more than two-thirds of the failing water systems are located in low-income, disadvantaged communities, primarily in eight Central Valley counties, San Bernardino County and Imperial County, 
forcing residents who can least afford it to purchase more expensive bottled water for drinking and cooking purposes. Uh, although the state water board has funding available to help these systems improve their water, water quality, it took an average of 33 months in 2021 for systems to apply for and the board to award that money, nearly double the 17-month average in 2017. Uh, making matters worse, we're in the middle of a historic drought, and as the water quality worsens or the water dries up, struggling water systems will urgently need funding and solutions from the state water board. So... If you're in any of those counties, be careful uh, regarding the water. And just again, for all the money we give to California, it's pretty incredible that we can't get clean drinking water. So add that to the great things about California, how progressive California is, is one, we're going to talk about in a little bit why we can't keep the lights on and why we don't have the energy to keep the lights on. Um, but add this to... The other issue is that we can't have safe drink, drinking water here in the state of California. Um, so add that to the list, right? Uh, I believe it said it was Central Valley County, San Bernardino County, Imperial County are a couple of them. So just keep an eye out for that. Um, but there are, it looks like there's a lot of problems in those areas in terms of the water systems and that they are not doing what they are supposed to be doing. They're not li living up to it. Um, and San Bernardino, a lot of those in, in, inner counties, I mean, gets hot, it gets dry. Uh, people need water. And right now, that it looks like there's going to be a lot of problems with water going on in the state of California. So add that to the many lists of things that California is just absolutely crushing it. Um, Let's see. We we get a lot of we usually get purified water um, from a local store that does purified water, um, but every once in a while I do use tap water. So I'd like to hope that the water that comes out of the tap is is actually pretty safe. So let's move into the main topic of today. What I wanted to talk about. It all kind of comes down to, so if you haven't been paying attention, what's really going on? Sri Lanka, there was uh, a huge uprising in Sri Lanka. Uh, Sri Lanka is a smaller country, um, and they were committed to doing a lot of this ESG. Now, what does ESG stand for? ESG is Environmental, Social, and Governance Criteria. It is a new form of basically... If you want to look at a company and you want to invest in that company, uh, you have to look at them and say, well, what's your ESG score? Uh, and a lot of people thought it was a good idea. It's now coming to fruition that it's not really a good idea. Uh, the idea is that if you wanted to put your money where your mouth is in terms of if you wanted to invest in this green energy and you want to invest in companies that are being green and responsible and stuff like that, um, you could invest in these companies. So if they have a certain score, Sri Lanka had a score of 98.7, I believe it was. The United States only has a score of like 50%, if that gives you any idea. Um, so this, this has been slowly being implemented across the board in a lot of corporations and a lot of businesses. And what is happening is that people are getting so obsessed with this idea of ESG and being as green as possible that they're forgoing the actual business making decisions of how it's going to affect their business, how it's going to affect the economy and how it's going to affect the market. Again, if you want a really good book on this uh, subject, I would highly, highly, highly recommend checking out Henry Hazlitt. 
That is Henry Hazlitt, H-A-Z-L-I-T-T. Henry Hazlitt. And it's called The One Lesson on Economics, I believe. Is the one. But if you look up Henry Hazlitt, it's his most famous book. And it goes all the way into this is that people do not think about a lot of these decisions in terms of how it's going to play out in the economy later on. It sounds really good. And it sounds fantastic. Like, this is great. We're going to um, make sure everyone is responsible and that everybody is doing the right thing and all these corporations. And we're going to prop those up. And the free market will then push these businesses to be the best. And those will rise to the top. And I guess that was their idea. So fast forward to what is happening right now and why I think that we may have hit a wall uh, in a lot of areas and how at the end of the day, if you can't get food or water or energy, you're not likely going to care what the heck someone's ESG score is. So we're going to talk about Holland, what happened with the Dutch farmers there. We're going to talk about Sri Lanka and then we're going to talk about some of the policies here in California that if you had to guess whether or not they're going to have a negative effect on the economy overall. Uh, so this is from Investopedia. This is a nice neutral site when you want to look up anything regarding business and investments. Uh, so basically, I'm going to read this for you. Environmental, social, and governance ESG criteria are set of standards for a company's behavior used by socially conscious investors to screen potential investments. Environmental criteria consider how a company safeguards the environment including corporate policies addressing climate change. For example, social criteria examine how it manages relationships with employees, suppliers, customers, and the communities where it operates. Governance deals with a company's leadership, executive pay, audits, internal controls, and shareholder rights. So that's basically the definition. Now, there's a whole bunch of different that you can go read this for yourself. If you want to go check out Investopedia, go right ahead. But basically, like I said, The point of ESG is to promote sort of green conscious policies. And they look at all this stuff and they determine whether or not your company rates on a certain scale for ESG countries as well. I guess they're not, they're all, they're doing this for countries as well. Uh, So everyone's favorite tech bad boy uh, came out and said, uh, Elon Musk said, I am increasingly convinced that corporate ESG is the devil incarnate. Uh, not mincing words there. And then NYU professor of finance, Asworth Damaradaran. Again, I probably butchered that. He's been recently writing about ESG. Uh, he has been chopping it into pieces. His conclusion, and this is the whole thing because I think it's important to read. When I first wrote about ESG two years ago, I did so because I was skeptical of the unquestioning belief that people had in its success. I initially believed that it was a flawed concept that needed fixing. But after two years of interactions with people who claim to know the concept really well, but don't seem to be capable of making solid cases for it, and witnessing its takeover of well-heeled entities with agendas, I am convinced that there will soon be room for only two types of people in the ESG space. The first will be the useful idiots, well-meaning individuals who believe that they are advancing the cause of goodness, As they toil in the trenches of ESG measurement services, ESG arms of consulting firms, and ESG investment funds. This second will be the feckless knaves who know fully well the void behind the concept, but see an opportunity to make money. I know that they are not edifying choices, but I I don't see any good ones other than leaving the space completely. Good luck. 
So he basically believes that there's going to be the people who absolutely fall into it and believe it's a really good idea to do ESG and to follow on all of this stuff. And then he basically says there's going to be a whole bunch of people who are going to game the system, meaning that they're going to figure out how to get their ESG scores up without actually really doing anything that really has any impact on sustainability or green policies or anything like that. So basically, it's really just a shell game of you're going to have the people who do the really good things or the what you can call the really good things um, and really buy into this ESG thing that is really going to work. And this is what's really important. Um, and then you're going to get the people who are going to take advantage of it um, and just kind of game the system. So in essence, it's not going to work either way. So let's g- talk now about what happened with these Dutch farmers. Um, and again, I'm going to wrap this all up so we can get into how this relates to California, my belief on what this has to do with California, uh, because this is a podcast about California, but I think it's interesting to kind of keep an eye on everything outside of what's happening in California and not just what's happening here. Um, this is an article from the Daily Caller. Dutch farmers launch revolt against climate rules threatening to end their livelihoods. The Dutch Ministry of Agriculture, Nature, and Food Quality told the Daily Caller News Foundation that the present emissions reductions and resultant backlash trace back to a 2019 court ruling that found the Netherlands was not doing enough to protect its natural areas. Citing the ruling, the Dutch government introduced targets last month to have nitrogen, oxide, and ammonia emissions, both of which are present in large quantities of livestock manure. The ministry told the DCNF that is working with farmers to look at a new way of doing business with innovation, relocation, extensification, and involving more nature in agriculture. Still, many farmers are disillusioned. Quote, we cannot invest. Our fathers, our uncles cannot invest in the future. And so as young farmers, we also have no prospect of taking over a farm. 23-year-old Dutch dairy farm. Uh, The Netherlands is the largest exporter of meat in the European Union and exported almost $100 billion worth of agricultural goods in 2019. The protest came as the world faces food shortages brought on by the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and some fear that the ongoing supply disruption caused by the protest could increase prices in the Netherlands and beyond, Al Jazeera reported. Uh, Over the weekend, Dutch government appointed Johan Rumkees to lead talks between farmers and government officials responsible for crafting the emissions reductions regulations. Dutch farming lobby LT Dutch farming lobby LTO described Rem Remkees as quote an administrative heavyweight with deep knowledge of the issues and said it was open to talks according to the AP. Uh, so this doesn't really go into it. Uh, you can read it and uh, basically what happened. Let me paint the picture for you: is that these Dutch farmers, you've probably seen pictures of it, is they blocked highways. They basically drove in their tractors into big cities. They've stopped a lot of commerce. Uh, And this is their protest. Um, And they're basically letting the country know that we can't operate as farmers anymore. And that what you're doing, because you're so obsessed with these green policies, we can't operate anymore. And it's not profitable for us. Uh, As that young farmer said, I have no prospect of ever owning my own farm. If you're a family of farmers and this is your legacy and your grandfather did it and your father did it, um, and now you want to do it, um, there is no opportunity for someone to do that. And when you take those farms out of circulation, and especially in a place like Holland where they provide so much of the meat in Europe that 
it does have this trickle-down effect. I bet they thought, this is a good idea. We want to stop this one thing because it may be bad for the environment. But now you're starting to see the, the, how it plays out. There's been food shortages. There are empty shelves over in Holland. Obviously, you can't get as much meat as you can because farmers, basically, almost half of them have been taken out of the circulation. And it has caused a huge uproar in Holland. Um, I don't know where it goes from here and what's going to happen to them. It looks like they're going to have some sort of talks. Maybe they're going to back off of this a little bit. But this is one example of how these green policies, when they get implemented, people don't really think them through and they don't think what's going to happen. They, they should start thinking through on a 10, 20 year plan of, well, if we get rid of this, then what else is going to kind of cascade? But again, politicians aren't beholden to that. Remember, politicians don't really care about what happens in the immediate term because if politicians can create problems, then it's a problem they can obviously try to solve. Um, one reason why politicians don't really ever truly solve problems is because if they solved problems, then what would their job be? They'd go out and they'd solve all the problems and they'd come home and say, okay, problems are fixed, we're done, but they want to keep problems going as much as possible. Uh, let's see. This is a article from Just the News. As green policies trigger protests, economic crisis abroad, Biden clings to climate change agenda. So we're already starting to see it here. Now that COVID is sort of subside, we're getting this push and you're starting to hear the rumblings that now the new fear is going to be we need to take emergency action on the climate. And they figured out that if we can say that COVID was a state of emergency, then we can say climate is a state of emergency and therefore we can do whatever we want. We can trample all over your constitutional rights. We can basically do whatever we want. We can um, suspend the rule of law and we can just implement and shove through our policies. Um, I think it'll be a little bit harder uh, legally for him to do exactly what he's trying to do uh, in terms of, you know, it sounds nice for Biden. It's not really a non-binding executive order for him to say all these things. Um, but nevertheless, it does show their hand that they are trying to push through with this, that they are obsessed with this climate thing. And it's not really about the climate because this, if this was such a big issue, they would be talking about it or they would try to solve it years and years ago. But you ever notice it's always 10 years, 10 years, 10 years, 10 years down the road. It's always, well, the world's going to end in 10 years. Um, kind of reminds me of that scene in, in Parks and Rec. If you ever watch that show, uh, where they go out and they believe that Zorb is going to come down and they always pretend they, they got the date wrong. That's like climate people who are always like, well, we thought the world was going to end in 10 years and we were going to freeze over, but uh, sorry, our calculation was off. And it's going to now in 10 years, so give us more money and more power. So this uh, is from Just the News. Uh, let's see. With green energy, environmental and agricultural policies triggering economic crisis and popular revolt in Sri Lanka and spreading protests in Netherlands and Germany, the Biden administration is showing little inclination to throttle back on its own sweeping climate change agenda, despite historically high U.S. fuel prices. The government banned chemical fertilizer in April of 2021. This is talking about Sri Lanka. Again, you start to see the difference, or not the difference, you start to see the same similarities, which is when you get rid of fertilizer... Uh, it makes it really hard to grow things. And when you can't grow things, it's hard to grow things or raise any sort of livestock. 
Uh, the government banned chemical fertilizer in April 2021 to encourage organic farming both before reversing the ban in November. The ban, however, decimated the country's agriculture industry, according to DCNF, and on Tuesday, the prime minister announced the country bankrupt. So if you saw the videos, uh, they were swirling around social media. You saw a lot of people protesting, a lot of people running into the presidential palace, uh, and the president actually fleeing by boat uh, to get out of Sri Lanka. Uh, that's how bad it got in Sri Lanka, is that it absolutely collapsed, and it was just complete anarchy. Uh, in the Netherlands and Germany, meanwhile, farmers are protesting climate change policies they believe are hindering their ability to produce crops. More than 40,000 Dutch farmers have protested against their government's policy of cutting 50% of livestock-related emissions by 2030, which could result in a third of ranchers losing their business, DCNF reported. After the U.S., the Netherlands is the world's second-largest food exporter. That's a big deal. You know, I, I didn't know the Netherlands was actually one of the biggest. It was the biggest. But uh, we produce a lot of food here. American farmers are also experiencing 60% increase in fertilizer prices over last year, in part due to rising energy prices. At the same time, the Securities and Exchange Commission has proposed a rule that will require companies to report emissions and other climate risk data, a key goal of environmental, social, and uh, governance, ESG. ESG is used as a rating, a measure, and entities' advancement of policies designed to address climate change, increase diversity, and support a progressive, quote, social justice agenda. Again, I don't know why that has to be something that a business is really worried about, um, but sure. I mean, if you want to start a business and that's what you want to do, you want to focus on these things, that's what you get into business for. And if you can prove you can do it really well, all, you know, mazel tov, all the power to you if you can do that. You can start a nonprofit and do this stuff. But to force other businesses that really have nothing to do with it um, into complying with this, I don't really see how this is going to help the economy. It does hinder a lot more businesses. Advocates seek to drastically reduce carbon emissions and invest in renewable energy in hopes of ultimately eliminating fossil fuels. Um, and if you have a chance, uh, there was actually... Uh, really, uh, one of my favorite podcasts, probably my favorite podcast, part of the problem with uh, Dave Smith, he did a whole thing about climate religion. He did a great episode on this talking about how getting rid of fossil fuels would essentially sentence billions of people to poverty, right? Uh, because the world runs on, it runs on fossil fuels, and a lot of people require fossil fuels to even live, to even turn the lights on. Um, and you would be sentencing billions of people into poverty. And the elites are fine with that. They are fine with that because they won't really be harmed. But everybody else would not be able to afford it. They wouldn't be able to do it. There wouldn't be enough energy. Um in a uh, House committee meeting, uh, they had Pete Buttigieg being questioned by Thomas Massey, uh, where he asked them about how much electricity a house generates and how much would a house need to generate if we were all running electric cars. It would basically be the equivalent of going from one refrigerator in your house to 25 refrigerators in your house to be able to charge if everyone had to do electric cars. Um and obviously, if you live in California, we all know that if the temperature rises one degree too hot, 
then all of a sudden we're all brown out and that's it. None of us have energy. So good luck trying to get everybody to drive electric cars when we don't even have the power and we can't even turn on the light switch without the use of fossil fuels to keep the electricity on. Um, let's keep going with this article. I think that's basically it I want to talk about. Um, it does finish off with this stuff. Uh, ESG is how they get to push their woke agenda into the corporate boardrooms by mandating these new ESG provisions. That's how you try to get the private sector market to do what the government lacked authority to do. Um, we have so many small, medium-sized oil and gas providers that would love to drill wells, but they can't get access to capital to drill the wells. And if they can come across someone to finance the well so they can drill it, they can't get insurance companies out of Wall Street to underwrite the drilling of the well because of environmental social governance scores the Biden administration is pushing to try and kill the petroleum and gas industry. It's absolutely ludicrous. Uh, the Biden administration knows what the problem is. They know that it's their own making, it's their own doing, and yet they're continuing to say stupid things like gas station owners are the problem. Right. Um, let's keep going, and then I'll finish up. So what happened over in Sri Lanka? You're seeing it now. You're getting an idea of what happened over in Sri Lanka, whatever happened in Holland. It's happening here as well in the country, which is a lot of these companies are being forced to abide by it and companies that are doing things that the regime doesn't really care about or the regime doesn't really want you involved in they're going to get low esg scores and people aren't investing in them so like that article just said if you are a small or medium-sized drilling company and you want to go out and you want to drill and you want to get more fossil fuel you want to get more oil out of the ground uh Guess what? No one's really going to invest in you because of these ESG scores. Therefore, reducing the actual amount of oil we have when there's less supply and there's more demand. Obviously, you know the issue. It's the most one of the most basic issues of, of, of economic policies. Well, by reducing the supply, that's why we have so much. And of course, their biggest response to anybody who complains about gas prices is, well, if you don't like gas prices, just go get an electric car. Why don't you just go get an electric car? That should be easy. Uh, when in reality, like I just said, you can't run. Everybody can't have an electric car. We don't have the we don't have the infrastructure yet. We don't have the grid yet for everyone to have an electric car. Um, this is from LysanderSpoonUniversity.com. Uh, it's just a little blurb about what happened. Uh, did, 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 let's see. Uh, chemical fertilizer bans talking about Sri Lanka in 2021 to cut ni nitrogen waste and implement greener farming practices drastically reduce crop yields and damage Sri Lanka's trade balance. The decision to overnight shift away from synthetic fertilizers was an absolute disaster. Uh, talks about how it's gone bankrupt. The UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs estimated in the report that crop production for the 2021-22 season has decreased by 40 to 50%, and so far farmers have only utilized a quarter of the available land for the upcoming season, according to a report dated June 9th. Now, keep this in mind, right? This is something, again, another good example of how people don't think about what happens when they make these hasty decisions without thinking about them, is we're going to see a lot of the fallout from what happened with the pandemic and lockdowns economically for years to come. This is going to take a while for it to kind of wring itself out of the economy. I mean, inflation is the biggest one. Inflation, because with the stimulus checks under both Trump and Biden and the amount of money that they printed to keep businesses in business and keep people on payroll, 
when they could have just let people just stay open as opposed to shut the entire world down. Uh, we're seeing that through inflation. But if you've noticed, you are seeing less in the grocery store. Things are not as reliable as they used to be. So what happened in during the pandemic is you saw a lot of these farmers who were there was no demand for what they were doing. Restaurants were closed and they were throwing tons and tons and tons of vegetables and produce out. Um, what happened then is because they didn't know when we were going to come out of this because our politicians were so wishy-washy on whether or not they wanted to be pro-lockdown or they wanted to be anti-lockdown. Um, they planted less because they weren't going to plant as much as possible because they didn't know whether or not there was going to be demand. They didn't know if restaurants were going to be open. Who knew if California was going to be open for over two years? It seemed like everything was shut down and there wasn't enough demand. So what you have now is it takes a long time. It takes a whole year to plant and to harvest. And then you get to the next year where there may be increased demand. But guess what? The farmer a year ago said, I don't know if we're going to be open or not. I don't know if we're going to be able to plant, whether people are going to be demand. So they planted, let's say, half of the onions. Um, I'm just using onions as an example. But let's say they say, well, there was no demand for the usual amount of onions that I grow. And then I'm going to plant half the amount of onions. Well, next year we're fully open. Everybody wants onions for cooking and for all this stuff. Well, guess what? We only planted half the amount of onions. So now your onion has doubled in cost because of that, because there's less onions on the market. Um, and you can't just all, you can't quickly grow a lot of this stuff. It takes time and it takes planning. Um, and you're going to see this happen with Sri Lanka this year is because if they're only planting on a quarter of what they can use, there's going to be food shortages next year. And what's Sri Lanka going to do when they have food shortages and they don't have enough food to feed everybody? It's going to become probably a humanitarian crisis, probably going to have to have other countries step in and fly in food if we have food. Um, and again, this is stuff that people don't really think about. Uh, let's see. It goes on. Inflation in Sri Lanka stood at 54.6 in June. According to the trading economics with food prices rising 80 to 80.1% and transportation at 128 since May Reuters reported half a million people have sunk into poverty as early as 2022. Half a million people have sunk into poverty just this past year in Sri Lanka. Think about that. Think about 500,000 people have, have sunken into poverty. So you're already seeing the effects of what happens when you push these policies is that food shortages uh, energy shortages, people are sh sliding back into poverty. Um, and therefore, I guess they, that was their whole plan. I mean, the, the prime minister left, he's out. He probably took a whole stack of cash with him and he's out. Um, Sri Lanka has an almost perfect ESG score at 91.8. So I was, I was off by a little bit. It's 91.8 tied with Tajikistan, according to the data from the world economics for comparison, Sweden sits at 96.1. And the United States stands at 50.7. So it looks like this is literally the go, get woke, go broke sort of mentality is that they went with, we're going to do these ESG policies and we're going to push this green policy. And look what happened. We've had 500,000 people have sunken into poverty. There's probably going to be food shortages next year. There's probably going to be energy shortages next year. Um, the country is absolutely bankrupt. 
It's absolute anarchy and chaos in Sri Lanka, all because they wanted to be more green. Um, now let's move to California because California obviously is pushing a lot of these policies and we're right on the cusp of it and we're not going to see, uh, we're going to see it where, I mean, we're going to see it soon. It's going to happen. Um, but here are some things that are interesting to me and that we're going to start seeing, uh, over the years, whether they, and if they don't get stopped, we're going to be in big trouble here in California. And again, if California is in trouble as a breadbasket is a big agricultural con- uh, state, that could be a lot of problems for the rest of the country. Um, so this is an article from oilprice.com. California may need fossil fuel power to avoid blackouts. And this was July 1st, 2022. California is by far the most ambitious state in the U.S. when it comes to climate goals, but even it cannot power itself entirely with solar and wind yet. It is currently working on expanding its storage capacity, but this expansion will take time especially with the lingering supply chain snags that have plagued industry since the start of the pandemic have not gone away after its end. Uh, the measure is a short-term one. Uh, let's see. Oh, no, this is talking about Gavin Newsom to establish a strategic reliability reserve. Um, talking about uh, different types of energy. Uh, the measure is a short-term one. However, as the gas-fired plants are set to close next year, diesel generators will also be killed off as a source of energy in California beginning next year. Reactions to the bill vary depending on where they came from. A Republican state senator, for instance, said it proved California still needs fossil fuels. If we don't get these gas-powered plants to fire up when we need them, you will not be able to flip the switch and get electricity. One environmentalist blamed it on a lack of ambition when it comes to the state's climate goals. The state is saying we need to rely on fossil, uh, fossil power, and they're not fully admitting that because it's a lack of ambition. Okay. Or it's just the reality of it. Um, one thing that that brought up is, uh, an article I read interesting about the, in the LA times is talking about solar panels. I should have brought that article up as well to talk about, but I think we have enough to talk about. We, this has been a jam packed show so far, uh, is how California is facing a really bad disaster when it comes to the disposal of solar panels that right now. California doesn't know what to do with a lot of these solar panels because a lot of them are coming up on their 10-year expiration, right? They only last 10 years, and then you got to get new ones. So they're not as reliable or they're not as long-lasting as people think. Um, And when you try to recycle them, there's a lot of toxic material. It's very hazardous. It's very hard to do. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of solar panels are going to be coming up for recycling pretty soon in the state of California alone. Now, there is a company literally across the border in Yuma, and you can't make this up, literally across the border in Yuma because the regulations to do what they do are too strict in California that they actually can't do what they need to do, which is recycle solar panels, even though California is in dire need of companies that are willing to work to help recycle solar panels. California, because of our restrictions and our overburdensome regulations, um, they can't even operate. So you have to go across state lines, take those solar panels to Yuma, you know, right literally on the border of California and Arizona to get these panels recycled. But a lot of people don't really know what else is going to happen. They don't have enough recycling plants. They don't know what they're going to do with them. Um, so this is another example of people didn't really think through when they kind of went wholeheartedly into solar panels. Last story, and then I want to open it up to chat because I can see a lot of people in the comments are going nuts and talking about this stuff. 
Um, and I want to get your feedback on whether you think we're in dire straits and whether we're going to head the way of Sri Lanka and Holland. Um, this was something I have to give a hat tip to my wife who actually told me about this story. The port of Long Beach boost push for zero emission trucks. Uh, at least 10% uh, clean trucking has ever to support a goal of zero emissions truck fleet by 2035. The port of Long Beach will start collecting its clean truck fund rate on April 1st, 2022, as approved by the Long Beach Board of Harbor Commissioners. Uh, the rate for non-exempt trucks of $10 per 20-foot equivalent unit, a standard measure for one 20-foot long cargo, was set in March 2020 by the ports of Long Beach and Los Angeles to encourage the trucking industry to invest in cleaner vehicles and reach zero emissions. Zero emission trucks are exempt from the rate, and the Port of Long Beach has approved an expiring exemption for the cleanest natural gas-powered trucks as a transitional step to a future when zero emission cargo trucks are widely available. Uh, the clean truck fund rate is expected to generate $90 million in the first year, $45 million per port. As part of the Monday's action, the board approved an initial funding prioritization for both low nitrogen oxides and zero emissions trucks with at least 10% of the funds to be provided for two uh, zero emission trucks. We are the green port, said Harbor Commission President Stephen Neal. Speeding progress toward the zero emissions trucks goal is important. In spite of the business uncertainties created by the pandemic, there should never be any doubt that we will fulfill this promise. This rate allows us to balance aggressively pursuing zero emission goals with economic vitality and competitiveness. We have a responsibility to find solutions to protect public health in vulnerable communities. Um, so this is actually coming straight from the port of Long Beach. Um, this is what their push is. I couldn't believe it myself, right? 2035 is a long way off. Uh, and this is something my wife told me is that the port of Long Beach would like all trucks that are going to come and pick up stuff have to be zero emissions, right? Now, from what she's told me, you are about, I don't know, six months to a year if you order an electric semi-truck, right? Six months to a year to get your hands on one electric semi-truck. Um, how many trucks do you think are out there in the United States? How many trucks do you think are out there trying to get into Long Beach. Now, keep in mind, this is the same port where you saw boats and boats and cargo ships all parked right off of the shore. If you live in that area, you know what it was like. You could look out and see all of the all the boats and all that out there um, that were parked there because they couldn't get enough people and enough trucks to actually get in and get the stuff out of this port. So, what they've done is they are so focused on this zero emissions, they are, again, overlooking the fact that there is not an infrastructure for these trucks yet. Where are these trucks going to charge? Where are these trucks going to um, be built? Where are they going to be manufactured? Right now, there are not enough people producing enough because there's not enough demand and a lot of people think it's economically viable to actually buy one because there, again, there is no infrastructure for where these trucks are actually going to get charged. And is California prepared to start powering up thousands upon thousands of semi trucks? You know, they want to make everything electric and keep that number in mind that I brought up before about Thomas Massey, what he said, basically, if you want everyone to have an electric car and this is just electric cars. So like a Tesla or a Nissan Leaf or something else like that, 
you would be the equivalent of running 25 refrigerators in your house on top of your normal electricity. Okay, so keep that in mind. That's just for electric cars. Now, if you think about it, how much is it going to take for our infrastructure to be able to power thousands and thousands of semi-trucks? I don't think we have the infrastructure for it yet. In 2035, a little over 10 years from now, do they think they're going to radically change the entire infrastructure overnight so that they can actually get this done? And if you're one of those independent contractors, which again, you might not be able to be an independent contractor under AB5, you might not be able to afford electric truck. You may have just went out and spent your life savings to buy a truck to start your own business to be an independent contractor. And now all of a sudden the state of California is saying, well, guess what? You can't pick up from the port of Long Beach because you're not a zero emission truck. And we're going to start taxing the hell out of you uh, until you get an electric truck. So... With that, I will say this. Do you think that this is stuff that is going to end up biting California in the butt? Not only biting California in the butt, but biting the rest of the country in the butt. Because where are we going to start porting or where are people going to start importing a lot of these goods? If Long Beach and Los Angeles are basically saying we're not going to accept any trucks that are run on diesel, that's a huge amount of goods that are not going to get picked up. Okay. That's a huge amount. And we're talking about supply chain crisis. We already have a supply chain crisis. And they're making it absolutely worse by doing this. Could they go to Oakland? Maybe if Oakland doesn't do the same thing, right? Oakland's another big port. But these are the biggest ports on the West Coast that we're talking about. Long Beach is an enormous port. It's a very, very important, crucial port. In fact, it's probably one of the reasons why Long Beach actually is on the map is because of its port. Um, and the amount of work that goes into keeping that port up and running. Same thing with Los Angeles. And where else are they going to go? They're going to go to Seattle. Like, it, does that make sense? No, the idea is you want to get into Long Beach because there's plenty of freeways and there's plenty of arteries to get out into the country and get on the road and get going. Um, so I don't know what they're, well, I know what they're thinking. They're not thinking that. They're not thinking logically. They're not taking Henry Hazlitt's lesson, which is you have to think about economic consequences, 12 steps, 20 steps, years down the line, what's going to happen. So this all sounds great and good. Um, But at the end of the day, this is going to end up hurting truckers. It's going to end up hurting supply chain. Um, It's going to end up hurting Americans. It's going to end up hurting Californians. And this is just the beginning. Again, they want to transition all of us off fossil fuels. They want to get us all in clean power, but we don't have the infrastructure. We don't have the energy. Now, if you want to talk about building or bringing online, you know, three or four nuclear power plants, and then we have reliable, clean energy, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that you want to get nuclear energy back on the, the map. And then you say, oh, we can, we have the power to power millions of electric cars and trucks because we use nuclear energy now you're starting somewhere but you can't just say hey we're going to go ahead and do this and then you say well okay but do we have the infrastructure to power any of these trucks and they go well no we don't have the infrastructure yet okay well what's your plan and you go uh well we got to get there what do you mean you got to get you don't have a plan you're just going to say 2035 sounds great because it's 10 years in the future it sounds far enough away 
that people don't really think it's that immediate, but it's close enough that people think it's actually going to make a difference. Or they just, and then they just say, well, we'll figure it out along the way. Yeah, but people's livelihoods are on the, they're, they're on the slab right now. And you're worried about zero emission trucks and we can't get stuff, supply chain stuff into the country. And you're worried about zero emission trucks. So anyway, um, that's it for today on terms of this. I want to switch now to, uh, the, the conversation in the comments. I know you guys have been, uh, going nuts in here. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that one. That was a little bit more of a deep dive into what is going on uh, and how you can take lessons from what's going on around the world and see how it's being implemented here in California and how California is possibly on the same path um, in terms of their obsession with green policies. So not that I'm against green policies. I'm not against green policies. If it makes sense to do something that's green and it works and people can afford it, great. The free market will push its way. I think we've it pushes its way um, the way forward, the most economically, the best way for everybody to really take part. But like you saw in Sri Lanka, if you push these policies and then you push 500,000 people into poverty, what have you done? Are you going to pat yourself on the back and say, yay, we did it. We, we have a 98% ESG score, but half a million of our citizens are in abject poverty. Go us. That's great. Is that what's going to happen here? I mean, that's what's happening here in California, right? Push green policies as much as possible, even though we have one of the biggest income inequality disparities in the world, probably top 10. And they're just like, well, we still got to do this. We got to do this. Uh, anarchism gets a bad rap when in theory, people who cover freedom and liberty should be yeah, I read the more I read about anarchy, um, Michael Malice, if anybody doesn't know, Michael Malice is a great spokesperson on the uh, and he writes about uh, anarchy and he talks a lot about anarchy um, and really what anarchy would look like. Um, well, anarchy is really true freedom. I mean, it's true liberty and freedom because there's no state really infringing upon your, your liberty. It's just somebody, um, uh, you know, Vinnie Boy brought it up in the chat. He's talking about anarchy. Um, yeah. So if you, if you're interested in it, you don't have to buy into it. Like I would say I might be more of a minarchist if I had to pick, I'm definitely not an anarchist. Um, but there's sometimes I look at it and go, anarchy is not a bad idea. Let's all just go live in the woods and do whatever the hell we want. And, th and that's the end of it. Um, uh, so let's see. Uh, somebody said when there's a fire in my area, PG and each turns off our electricity how then would we charge anything electric? I would be stuck if I had electric cars, the full and packing piles are not thought through. Yeah, and if everyone's working from home and you're all work, working on computers, your computer has a dying battery life. And if the power goes out, what's powering your modem? You know, it's what happens when power goes out, your internet goes out, right? So how are you going to work at home if you can't use the internet? So who exactly is pushing these zero... Sorry. Pushing the zero emissions green policy. I'm wondering if a particular company investors are lobbying for these policies. Um, I would say, I don't know. You know, I'm not going to about to go into some rabbit hole, like Alex Jones style rabbit hole of like, who's actually pushing this. Um, I've always thought that they figured out climate change uh, is something, I mean, climate change was the original thing that, that could get people scared enough to let the government figure out how to, 
control us more. Um, because it, it, again, government is not very good at solving a lot of things. You know, government is really, I mean, I'm, a, I'm of the belief government really has a couple basic functions. And right now, a lot of them, they, they don't really do any of those really that well. Um, but they get caught up in this climate change stuff. And uh, what it does is it allows them to raise taxes and get more power. Um, it's a way for politicians to really power grab. Um, because if you look at the data and you look at the science talking about climate change, they've changed their their stance on climate change for the past 50 years. Um, so... Nothing, it not, whatever they say doesn't hold up in the long haul. But the one thing that's always consistent is that if you want to solve climate change, you have to give them more power and more money. So, sorry, it sounds like somebody's trying to. The last two years was just a test. We're on how far the government can push us. Now they're still pushing through with radical ideas. Um, yeah, I, I think in terms of if you ever looked up what the Overton window is, um, I think they they cracked open the Overton window and they saw just how far they could go. Uh, they saw that probably about 50% of the people uh, will listen to it and I, I don't know. I would say like right now, I don't know if I think in the beginning, a lot of people were scared and we're, we're trying to figure out what's going on. I think now that number has gone way, way, way down in terms of who will just ultimately trust the government and do whatever they want to do. Um, but they, they kind of cracked it open to see how far people would go, and, and they just wanted to see. Um, but it did condition a lot of people that the government is your benevolent savior. It did condition the people to believe that, hey, the government is your ultimate savior, and we're the only ones who know what's best for you. Um, so give us all the power. Give, give away all your constitutional rights, um, and that's it. You know, Trust us with your business. You don't need that business. Trust us, we'll take care of you. So that did turn a lot of people, a lot of people did fall into that trap. But I think a lot of people also may have started off one way and it had the opposite effect where people, a lot of people woke up. And, uh, you know, tomorrow night we're going to talk to Dan Fulkerson. Again, he's a, he's a good example of someone who wasn't really that political or wasn't really paying attention to stuff. And then COVID happened and then all of a sudden he became really political and started to talk about all this stuff because he felt like he didn't, he couldn't just sit by. Um, he couldn't just sit by and let it happen. So uh, at the end of the day, I, I'm not sure what the end goal is because if you saw what happened in Sri Lanka, they pushed and they pushed and they pushed and they lost. Um, and then same thing happened in Holland. They pushed and they pushed and they pushed and they're probably going to lose. Sri Lanka is probably the best example of people can look to and say, look, um, you push and you push and you push with these green policies and then your country goes bankrupt, 500,000 people go into poverty and the prime minister has to flee the country. So uh, 
That's that's what's going to happen. Uh, once the government said the Constitution is not absolute, that woke a lot of people up. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who still, you know, left and right. I think there's a lot of people who are like people on the left who who said, "Hey, I I still believe in the Constitution. It doesn't mean you can trample all over it." Um, and that that they still believe in these constitutional rights. They still believe that you had these rights. Um, so it did wake up a lot of people. And I think that's one of the silver linings of what happened during COVID. Everyone should be doing things to self-sustain their families. Yeah. I mean, it's not a bad idea to consciously go over, um, you know, if everything was gone tomorrow, if, if electricity was gone, uh, and the internet was gone, um, well, there'd be a lot of crap talking about Benny Johnson tomorrow night. I don't know if Benny Johnson will come up tomorrow night, but but anyway, to finish my thought, um, yeah, I think it's never a bad idea. It's kind of like emergency preparedness plan. You know, they always tell you, like, especially here in California, they say, oh, what happens if there's an earthquake? What Like, what should you do? You should have extra water. You should have, like, lights and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, never a bad idea. Uh, yeah, HR 1808 has been punted. Yep. Yeah, that was good news that they uh, punted it until after the break. And guess what? Uh, that probably means it's not going to come to a floor vote, which means all this assault weapons ban is just going to slowly die out and it won't come to a floor vote. And that'll be the end of it. So good news for us uh, and all the, the 2A people. Very, very good news for us. Um, I didn't think it would have the votes to pass in Senate, though. I don't think there were 10 people. I don't think there were 10 Republicans. I don't. I doubt, you know, Manchin would have voted for it. But uh, the Constitution says we have a duty to remove a corrupt government. Wondering why it hasn't happened yet. Well, a lot of people are comfortable. You know, a lot of people are comfortable. There's a lot of re- legal... Re- and, you know, I'm not... I always say I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we're there yet. I think a lot of people got apathetic. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think a lot of people got apathetic in terms of voting, paying attention to their politics. And this is sort of where we've gotten. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Something got caught in my throat. Um, and I think it, it really the best way right now is for a lot of people to wake up um, and just pay attention to what's going on in politics. That's really what it comes down to. Mm-mm-mm. That gives time for all our California infringements to be declared unconstitutional based on... Yep. Yeah, hopefully that all... You know, they're reevaluating a lot of these decisions. The high capacity and stuff like that is all being reevaluated. So, did you just say wake up? Did I just say wake up? No, I I, forget, I don't remember saying wake up. Uh, okay, somebody asked about... You're going to ask, are you awake yet? No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask, are you awake yet? Why aren't you awake? Cause people say that to me in the DMS all the time. They're like, they're like, you're a rhino and you're not awake yet. Wake up, man. I'm like, bro, I've been awake longer than you've been paying attention to politics. So, you know, no one was talking about California politics when I started this show, but now a lot of people were really concerned about it. So not a lot of people were talking about politics before the pandemic happened. So it's great that a lot more people are paying attention. Um, bruh. Bruh. Um, somebody asked what's going on uh, with Major Williams because I think someone's really interested in, in, in asking what happened with Major Williams. Um, so me and as the attorney for the the, the housewives 
um, I don't know why I'm putting that in quotes, uh, have filed a suit against Major Williams um, regarding his original suit, uh, and it was regarding what it's for or is malicious prosecution. So basically what it's saying is um, he filed this suit. He had no probable cause. He didn't really uh, intend on going through with the suit, which we believe was true because he, after we filed our motion, he basically gave up and dismissed the suit. Um, basically, I think we believe that he filed suit to try and silence uh, these women. And um, so we filed a suit against him now. So now he's facing another lawsuit. Um, he's facing a lawsuit now. So, you know, turnabout is fair play. Uh, so he was served yesterday, and that's what's going on with the Major Williams. Um, and he still hasn't paid. He still hasn't paid his court order judgment. That is now, I don't know, 60 days overdue. Um, Camille's in the chat. She would know better. Um, so, yeah, he's way past overdue. Uh, it was court ordered. He had to pay it in 60 days. That was 60 days ago, I believe. He's way past that date and hasn't made any really effort to do to try and settle up. Um, but the, this whole new lawsuit is uh, for something else, for malicious prosecution, for filing the suit last year. Um 105 days ago. Wow. Okay. Camille's really keeping count of how many days it's been. So, all right. Any final comments, questions tomorrow night? Um, again, Dan Fulkerson's going to be on. We're going to be chatting with him. You know, it's going to be sort of a free for all as to, you know, maybe talking about what got him into politics um, and talking about this stuff and what he really believes and, 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 you know, how he's been helping out as an attorney. Um, and that's basically it for today. Thanks again for everyone, uh, who had tuned in. Sorry again about last week. Work did come up and stuff. Uh, so I had to take care of that. But, you know, as always, every, uh, Wednesday at 9am, we do this coffee in California politics and, um, we'd sit, we chat, we talk about California politics over lovely coffee. And you can get one of these in my store. I did fix up the the logo, it pops a little bit more now. Um, I did notice that it does. It is a little weak, uh, or not weak, but it's hard to see. So I did fix that to to make it pop. Uh, the California Underground with the American flag celebrating July and America Month uh, is coming to an end. It'll be ending at the turn of August. So if you want to grab one of those T-shirts, well, it's a T right now. It's women's men's and women's tees. You can grab those. Um, do I have stickers? Yeah, there are stickers. There are stickers in store. I believe there's... Uh, actually, there's also a sticker with the American flag, too. So if you want to grab one of those, you can grab one of those. Um, stickers are, are great. Um, oh, thank you for on the logo. Yeah, it was sort of just a, a last-minute thing. But, you know, I kind of do like the logo. Um, logo will probably stay around. I don't know about the shirts and stuff like that. So grab them while you can. Anyway, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And we'll see you on the next one. Later. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 